Now turn with me in your Bible tonight to the book of Genesis. We're going to read just a few verses from Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And then we're going to read a few verses from John chapter 1. So Genesis chapter 1, and read, we read verses 1 through to 5. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the, the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now turn with me please to John's Gospel. John chapter 1, and we'll read the first five verses there. John chapter 1, and we'll read from the verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Amen. We know God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken from Genesis chapter 1 and the verse 3 to 5. And my subject tonight is God's remedy for the darkness. It's written, and God said... Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. The evening and the morning were the first day. Now let me emphasize that Genesis chapters 1 to 3 and beyond are real historical facts. It is real history being unfolded. I'm well aware that there are academics and professors in the world who claim that Genesis 1 and others is a piece of poetry, a mere religious myth that was told, an outdated wrong scientific theory. I want to say that these experts, in my opinion, are wrong, they're a way off course, 
They're talking nonsense. Because Genesis chapters 1 to 3 can't be explained away by the rantings of atheistic scientists. You see, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, you've got what I believe, the birth of the universe. Here's how it all began. The universe didn't begin with the Big Bang. I'm well aware, too, of the Big Bang theory. But here's the opening verse of the Bible. And you're introduced to ten of the most important words in Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You see, this is a summary declaration. These words were penned, I believe, under divine inspiration. This is a true statement about the birth of the universe. In fact, it's the only true statement in the whole of the world on this subject. You see, it's a statement from the lips of one who was there. In the beginning, God. Before there was choirs of angels, before there was time as we know it, before there was a personal devil, long before God created the first man, God created the heavens and the earth. During the past eternity, God was all alone, self-contained, self-sufficient, in need of nothing, in no heaven, no earth, no angels, no universe. There was nothing but God as a solitary figure. And then God, who is an all-wise and all-powerful creator, created the whole of the universe without using any existing materials, ex nihilo. And after this profound declaration of verse 1, we're given a description of the original world in verse 2. Notice a threefold description. The earth was without form and void, darkness is upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved in the face of the waters. The original world was in an uninhabitable state. It was inhospitable. It was filled with darkness. And we're told the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the darkness as if preparing it for something. Now, now get this into your mind. Genesis 1 and 1, God creates the whole of the universe out of nothing. Genesis 1 and 2, God begins to focus on the planet Earth. He's going to prepare planet Earth for man to live in. Now remember, it's threefold state. It's formless, it's emptiness, and it's darkness. Now as God continues coming into what we call day one, we read in verse three, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. You see, he, he issues his first command. And what does he say? Let there be light. And that is really God's remedy for the darkness of this world. Note the order. Darkness and then the light. I want you to think of three things this evening from this portion of scripture. I've wrestled with this for well over a week. The pronouncement of light. And God said. Now if you look carefully at Genesis 1, that's repeated ten times. You should underline those ten times in your Bible. 
It starts with verse 3. Very simple. You can read over it and read over it and read over it. And God said. But stop for a moment. Think. Ponder. What does that mean? And God said. If you link it up with the words, In the beginning God created. And then come down to verse 3, And God said. You'll get the thought in my mind. God the creator is a God who communicates. He speaks. God is a speaking God. He's not silent. He's not shut off far away in some distant place. He is Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. And as one who is eternally present, he is not silent. He speaks his word. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't use a hammer or nails or a welder or any existing material? He simply speaks and it is done. The word of God is a creative word. The word of God is all-powerful. The word of God accomplishes what God intends. God commands the light to shine out of darkness. Now, in my house, as a husband and a father... I speak and issue commands, and um, nobody really listens. No, nobody takes any notice. I, I can say, go tidy your room. I, I could say, wash the car. I could say, do your homework. I can say, as I have done, stop playing that game and come for your meal that's on the table. And what do I get in a minute? But when God speaks instantaneously, it comes to pass. God is the speaking God, the pronouncement of light. Over there in the book of Psalms, in Psalm uh, 33 and in the verse uh, 6, we uh, read the words, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Over in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, and in the verse uh, 6, we're given the tremendous statement. Um, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and is your warder of them that diligently seek him. Verse 3 says, through faith we understand that the world's, the world's, that's the whole universe. We're framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And in Second Peter chapter 3 verse 5 we read, By the word of God the heavens were of old. And Peter of course is well aware that in his day people were ignorant of this. Now we've already read to you from John chapter 1. And John chapter 1, of course, is a very, very important uh, passage of Scripture. And I want you to make a reference to that for a moment, because I want you to understand um, verse 4. You see, God created the universe by and through his word. Jesus Christ is called in the Bible the word of God. That's one of his unique titles. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
here's a distinct person. And that person is co-equal with God. He coexists with God. And he's co-eternal with God. And we read in verse 3, all things were made by him. We could literally say all things were made by the word of God. And without the word of God was not anything made that was made. For that's exactly what the text is telling us. <coughs> Isn't this tie into what the Apostle Paul taught there in the book of Colossians? In Colossians uh, chapter 1 and in the verse um, uh, 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. In fact, we read in the seventh verse and seventeenth verse, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. The word consist there means held together. Every atom in the whole of the universe, even in the farthest corners of space, he is holding them together, and they don't move without his sovereign power and impact. You see, we're getting a glimpse here of God himself. In the trinity of his person, God the Father creating the universe through his eternal word, the Son. And the Spirit of God, we read here, moving upon the face of the waters. There's the pronouncement of light. And God said, let there be light. Notice, secondly, and quickly here, I want you to think of the properties of light. You see, God has a remedy for the darkness. And it's light. He speaks light into the darkened situation. Isn't there a principle here? Without life, there's no light. Without life, there's no light. Light is a vital resource in our day. We could not live without light. We're told, 1 John 1 and 5, God is light. Jesus Christ said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Psalm 27 and 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And just as light is a vital resource that can't be done without, and without it there can be no true life as we know it, so in our relationship with the Lord... The Lord can't be done without. Why? Because he is light. If you snuff out the light, you snuff out life. I wonder tonight, can you say, as the psalmist said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Just as you can't be without light as a vital resource, so you can't be without the Lord. This light, of course, is freely accessible to all. Did you know that there was a time when the UK government had what they call a light tax? Now, that didn't mean that it was just a small amount, L-I-T-E. No, you've got it right, L-I-G-H-T, a light tax. What they did was they come to your house, many windows are in this house, and if it had 12 windows, you paid a tax accordingly. If it had six windows, you paid a tax accordingly. Of course, 
That's how rotten governments have been, and they've always been rotten down through the years. Uh, power and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But the light is freely accessible to all. And when God said, let there be light, he was establishing a principle. Why was there light? Light was the answer, the remedy for the darkness, because the life brings light. And the Lord says, I am the light of the world. He's the answer. The answer to the darkness is himself. It's Christ in his person and work. And the light is an emblem of God's salvation. And the life that we have in God. And that's freely accessible to all who will come. Notice also, I believe there's a purity here. He says in verse 4, And God saw the light, that it was good. You see, that's a reference to its character. Doesn't the Bible say God is light and in him is no darkness at all? When Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, he, he was open to absolute scrutiny. There's no blemish in Christ, is there? He was flawless. He's of excellent quality. The Bible says he did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. He never committed a sinful deed. He never overslept or underet or overet. There was no spark to, to ignite sin within him. He was not acquainted with sin. It is called in the Bible the sinless, spotless Son of God. See, there's a purity with the light. Notice also, there's a proof here. Light is real. Uh, and we have to admit and acknowledge, we can't actually see the rays of light streaming toward us in the day. It is passing in front of our eyes. It is traveling at great speeds. Scientists tell us that it travels at it's 670 million miles per hour. It covers a distance of some 50,000 miles in the time it takes to blink. They tell us that a ray of light can travel around the world seven and a half times in one second. Now that's very fast. So how do we know that light is real? How do we know that it exists? Here's the answer. Because we can see the light reflecting of the objects in front of us. And God as creator reflects his own invisible presence in the things that he's created. <coughs> the sun, the moon, the stars, the trees, the birds... The wonderful colours of creation, the rain, the snow, the hail, the frost, the wind. What do they do? They all reflect the glory of God. Isn't this what Paul was emphasising whenever he said in the book of Romans, in um, Romans chapter 1 and in the verse uh, 20, he says, for the invisible things of him, from the creation of the world, are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made. 
even his eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse. God's creation reflects the invisible presence of God. They reflect his eternal power. They reflect his Godhead so that men are without excuse. Remember what the psalmist was able to declare in a a, a favorite psalm of many. In Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the earth and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day on the day utter his speech. A night on the night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Here's proof. If proof was needed, that God himself exists. Just as light is real. And you say, but I can't see it. And you know it exists because you see the light reflecting of objects around us. So there's at least an illustration, a proof, if proof was needed, that God himself is real. Notice also here, there's a power here. Maybe you've asked yourself, as some young people have asked me recently, how can God hear so many prayers at the same time? The whole of the universe? 24-7, at the same time, God can hear and answer prayer of saints the world over. How can he care for so many people, billions throughout the world? See, let me answer that. You see, a God who can create light out of nothing, simply speaking it into existence, doesn't live with the same restrictions that we do. It's really nothing to God to be in the same place at the same time in all the fullness of his Godhead and answer the prayers of his people and listen to the cry of another and take care of all his children. If you notice that God divided the light from the darkness, it actually says in verse 4, and God divided the light from the darkness. You see, light can be scattered. Think of a rainbow. The rainbow is the symbol of God's covenant promise to Noah in Genesis 9. It's an example of how light can be scattered. God is one being. And yet within this one being exists a relationship that none of us can fully grasp or understand. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons in the one Godhead. Yet truly each fully God. Co-equal, co-existing, and co-eternal. Three in one, to put it simply, and one in three. And light, I'm told by those that understand these things better than me, is a complex concept to grasp. And when we think about the being of God, we could say the being of God is complex. It's far deeper than we ever could imagine. It brings us to the greatness of God. It brings us to stand in awe of who and what God is. And let me tell you something else about how powerful light is. Light changes the appearance of all it touches. If you shine more light onto an object, I'm told by those that understand again the laws of physics, that the colors themselves become stronger and every detail can be shown up 
even on the surface, right into the core. Now you think of what the Bible teaches. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And the moment a person trusts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that person is changed. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, all things have passed away, all things have become new. And that person who trusts Christ is changed never to be the same again. A person who's cleansed in the blood of Christ. A person who's got the Lord of his, in his life. A person who's got the life of God now in his soul. That, that person is different. That person is not the same again. Doesn't the Bible tell us in Psalm 119 verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And it's a wonderful thing to have the Bible as a light. And when the light touches our heart and touches our mind, we're affected by it. But yet how many people in Northern Ireland, it was even saying this this morning in the Shankill Road, how many there own a Bible and they never read it. It's in a drawer. It's in a cupboard. Do you know what it's like having a Bible and not reading it? It's like taking a walk in the dark and having a torch and never having the sense to switch it on. The Bible describes itself as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And just as God's light touches us and changes us for the better, so the more that we have of God's light of his word, what a difference it makes in our lives. Notice also there's a prophet here. When a light comes on a room, the darkness disappears. Light and darkness can't be in the same place at the same time. If there's light... Darkness is gone. If there's darkness, the light has been expelled. Doesn't John 3 and 19 tell us that men love darkness? Isn't that the result of the fall? Isn't that the result of sinning in Adam in Genesis 3? All of mankind come under a curse. Every one of us born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We've got a heart full of sin. We've got a desire to do wrong. We've got a love for sin. And because of this, it's impossible to know God. The Bible says, as already quoted, 1 John 1 and 5, God is light and him has no darkness at all. The darkness has to be dealt with. And you see, just as in the work of creation, so in the work of regeneration. Isn't it true that the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 4 and 6, maybe you should turn to that passage as we come to a conclusion. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6 For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness See, that's Genesis chapter 1 and 3 And what do we read? Have shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ Now I'm not making it up this is what God does in us. The blind can't see. The dead can't live. What's the answer? The gospel. Christ is the answer. Now, let me try and illustrate that a little. Think of the condition of sinners. 
if I'm in the company of a blind man and I get a very powerful torch and I say this respectfully and I shine the torch into the eyes of the blind man and I ask him, what can you see, sir? You know what he's going to answer? Nothing. And even if I got a torch more powerful than the one I had, ten times more powerful than the one I had, and did the same thing and asked him, what can you see now? You know what he's going to answer me? Nothing. Do you know why? Because he's blind. And sinners are willfully blind. They can't see. And they will not see. And they need sight to see the light. And here's the Bible telling us, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, what has he done? He has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God's first step was to command the light. (coughs) This is the God who saves sinners. You see, sometimes we think, well, sinners are too hard to be saved. There are hopeless cases out there. And we realize that we are totally inadequate in and of ourselves to meet the need. And what we need is God to shine in men's hearts, to give the light. And the moment, of course, a person has received that regenerating experience, they begin to reflect that light. They begin to reflect the image and the beauty and the majesty of the Lord. They begin to be followers of Christ as lights in the world. You know, there's a lot of smart Alex about. I've heard some people, well, we can tie the preacher in knots. You see, some people tell us when we read this passage and preach what we're doing. Preacher, God didn't create the sun and the moon and the stars until the fourth day. You're stupid. How could, be, how could there be light before this? You have to have the sun to have light. Remember at this point, this was day one. There's no solar system. There's no luminaries like the sun, the moon, and the stars. And they think to themselves, well, um, that's what the Bible says. And, um, well, that's wrong. It can't be right. And we're in 2015, and we're going to catch them out. The preacher's wrong. God's word is wrong. We're scientifically smarter, and we know a lot better. Let me just say this. God is emphasizing in the creation account, listen to me, that he alone is the ultimate source of light. Do you know when these words were inspired to be written by Moses, way back about 4,400 BC, the eastern world worshipped the sun, worshipped the moon, worshipped the stars. And God was declaring in no uncertain terms, it's not the sun, the moon, the stars that's the object of light. The object of light is myself. Let there be light. Because I'm light. My son is light. The spirit is light. See, the Bible's an exciting book, isn't it? Before he ever had the sun, the moon, and the stars, he was declaring that he is the true light for the world. 
There's a prophet here. Notice one final thing. Not only the pronouncement of light and not only the properties of light, but think about the profitability of light. There's some people in our world and they suffer from what doctors say is seasonal affected disorder. It makes them sad. I don't fully understand it. But you know what the doctor's advice is? Step into the light. He presents the light as the answer. Here's the benefit. Here's the blessing. Get into the light. And what a blessing it is to know God who is light. What a blessing it is to know Jesus Christ is the light of the world. What a blessing it is to be in a relationship with God where you can say the Lord is my light and my salvation. What a blessing it is to know his presence is with you and the onward march of life. What a blessing it to know that he's the answer to the darkness. The darkness of your sin. What's the answer? After darkness light. The evening and the morning were the first day. That's God's order. God always ends in a message of hope. There's a positive aspect to the gospel. Christ brings joy and hope and peace. And not only into the darkness of your sin, but into the darkness of your situation. To the upright, there is a light in the darkness. Maybe you're here tonight, and you're sick of sin. You realize you're in spiritual darkness. You say, is there an answer? Is there hope? Is there help for me, preacher? There is. Step into the light. Don't be sad. Come and be glad because Christ is the light. That's the prophet to your soul. And if you're here in a situation and it's all darkness around you, it's doom, it's gloom, you're worried, you're fearful, let's remember, he can scatter the spiritual darkness. He can scatter your darkness, whatever the situation is, by the light of himself. Do you know anything about this? Can we rejoice in the work of his creation? Can we rejoice even in the work of his incarnation when the light of the world to come in to dispel men's darkness? Can we rejoice in this great work of regeneration, this biblical doctrine of salvation? Think of this work of restoration that he can do because of your darkened situation. He can bring the light. Aye, and even in the work of consummation, the light of the world is coming. And we're looking forward to that. And we say, even so come, Lord Jesus. If you read Isaiah chapter 60, it'll give you a little indication of what I'm trying to get at there. That's a whole subject in itself. That ties into the doctrine of Christ's second coming. But let me just read the verse. Isaiah chapter 60. And it says in the verse 1, Arise, shine. For thy light has come, the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and grow darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light. Is that not a reference to Christ in his second coming? I believe he is. May we know something about that, even as we seek to understand how profitable life is to our souls may the lord take these few thoughts and bless them to our hearts this evening